Well, good morning, everyone. Why don't you go ahead and stand with me as we together recite the Apostles' Creed, our statement of faith at your Celebration Church, that one thing that we focus in on and believe. Would you join with me? We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, we want to welcome you this morning. Great opportunity this morning for me to be able to just share with you for a few moments in God's Word. And I want to welcome those that are joining us at the other campuses as well and joining us online as well. Great to have you a part of the service. Uh, Pastor Mark is, uh, as they say, under the weather. My thought is, we're all under the weather. Another four inches last night, and who knows what's going to happen over the next few days, but uh, he's, he's not doing too well this morning, so he asked me if I would share this morning, and so I said, well, just hold on a second, let me pray about it. Okay. So here I am. So great. This morning, I want to share with you, and the title of my message is, A Cross, You've Got to Be Kidding. And it's found, the whole passage and the whole teaching this morning comes out of Luke chapter 9. And I'm going to read Luke chapter 9 to you, a number of these verses, but I want to start off as we begin our time together this morning, just read two verses initially, and it's Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 23 and 24, just those first two verses, and I'm reading it out of the New Living Translation this morning, and a little later on I'll get a chance to read a few more of the verses, but I want to just start out by reading these verses to you first of all. Then he said to the crowd, This is Jesus now. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. A cross. You've got to be kidding me. You know... As we came to the end of last year, the end of the year, I had the privilege and the opportunity, as I often do, to meet with a number of folk that are part of uh, the Celebration family, particularly here maybe at the Eastside campus, and then other folk that, that aren't necessarily, and the chance is to sit with them and talk with them and uh, give them some direction, some thoughts, an opportunity to pray with them, a time to just discuss with them some of the things that they were going through. And I have to be honest with you, uh, at times after talking and sharing with them, there were times where I was saddened, concerned, could I actually say to you, angry? Although, of course, for me, being a pastor, it was righteous anger. For you folk, it's normal anger. For pastors, it's always righteous anger. A little angry at some of the struggles that these folk were going through and Sometimes because of the struggles that they were going through, because what I began to see in many situations was that they were trying to follow Jesus, but they seemed to be walking extremely close to the edge in their following of Jesus. 
walking close to the edge. They've been Christians for a long time, been believers for a long time, some of them. And yet, they still didn't seem to be truly following Jesus. One of the things that it did for me, it, it, it made me challenge, challenge myself and stop and say, Lathan or myself, what about, are there any areas in your life where you have truly decided to follow Jesus, but you've begun to get the focus off and no longer was it a true following, but being diverted a little bit? Is there anything, God, that you are calling sin that I've begun to not call sin. Now as we enter the new year, coming close to the end of February, and we're expecting, well, the things are going to change maybe, same old, same old, or, you know, if I'm going to really desire to experience real change, real life, I've got to look at what does it mean to follow Jesus. I had an opportunity towards the end of last year talking to my brother-in-law. Him and I have a conversation on the phone and a uh, great man of God, him and I, for many, many years, have had built up a strong friendship, mentorship. Uh, he's married to my older sister, and just that alone is, uh, you know, got to be nice to him. Uh, but no, we've had, a, we've had a good friendship, and uh, he, we were talking, and I was just kind of sharing with him some of the things that I was thinking, God, you know, we, we've called to follow you, but why do we walk so close to the edge of times? And in our conversation, he, he mentioned to me, he said, you know, I've, I've had some of those thoughts go through my heart and my mind of late as well. And he said, I've just read a book. And I said, it'd be a great book to read. And uh, so I picked it up and I read it. And it's out of this book that I'm going to share some of my thoughts this morning. All right? It's a book called Not a Fan, F-A-N, written by Kyle Alderman. A great book. I would encourage you. It's an easy read. It's not 45 volumes that are about this thick. Uh, you could read it quite easily. It's a great book. It'll be a real challenge to you. And it's out of that that I want to share some thoughts with you this morning. All right? Now, let me go back to Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 1. I'm going to read a little bit of a lengthy passage of Scripture here, and you can follow along uh, on, on the screen up here. By the way, as I read this, if you happen to hear some snoring and you look and it's your husband next to you, you're more than welcome to give him an elbow, wake him up. You know, if you look over there and while we're reading the passage, and it's, you notice your wife has her cell phone out and she's playing on Facebook, unless she's posting on Facebook that she's at the East Green Bay campus at the moment, enjoying an anointed message from Pastor Lathan... <laughs> Tell her to put it away, all right? So let me read this to you here this morning. It begins at verse one. One day Jesus called together his 12 disciples. He gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and heal the sick. Take nothing for your journey, he instructed them. Don't take a walking stick, a traveler's bag, food, money, or even a change of clothes. Wow. Wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave town. And if a town refuses to welcome you, shake its dust off your feet, or if you live in Wisconsin, shake the snow off your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned these people to their fate. So they began their circuit of the villages, preaching the good news and healing the sick. Little caveat that really has nothing to do with my message this morning, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. Notice as we read this passage, how many times in Jesus' ministry and then in the disciples' ministry, and I believe we should be in our experience as well, they were instructed to teach the good news, preach the kingdom, and heal the sick. There always seemed to be a tie there. Verse 7, when Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, heard about everything Jesus was doing, he was puzzled. 
Some were saying that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. Others thought Jesus was Elijah or one of the other prophets risen from the dead. I beheaded John, Herod said. So who's this man about who I hear so so many stories? And he kept trying to see him. When the apostles returned, they told Jesus about everything they had done. And I bet there were some wonderful stories that they shared. Then he slipped quietly away with them towards the town of Bethsaida. But the crowds followed him out there where he was going, and they followed him. He welcomed them, and he taught them about the kingdom of God and healed those who were sick. Late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him and said, send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. I believe there's a festival just around the corner. There is nothing to eat here. We're in a remote place. But Jesus said, you feed them. But we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Or are you expecting us to go and buy food at that festival for the whole crowd? For there were about 5,000 men. Jesus replied, tell them to sit down in groups of 50. So the people sat down. He took the loaves and the two fish, looked up to heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and the fish to the disciples so they could distribute to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of leftovers and took it for man, to manna for life to distribute amongst the poor. One day, Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Only his disciples went with him. And he asked them, who do people say that I am? Well, they replied, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say you're one of the, the other ancient prophets risen from the dead. But then he asked them, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Messiah sent from God. Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone who he was. The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things, he said. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the law. He will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. And then he declared the words that we read a little earlier. He said, he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang out, or hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Let me jump ahead now in that same chapter, chapter 9, to a passage a little further on, starting at verse 57. 57. And here we see that you, we've got three people that are coming to Jesus. They may have heard what he had to say about following him earlier, but they were responding to what he had to say. So look at verse 57. It says, As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, you know, foxes have dens to live in. The birds have nests. But the son of man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. He said to another person, come, follow me. That man agreed. Yeah, me, I'm I'm right here. I'll follow you. I'll follow you. I agree. Let's do it. But he said, oh, you know what, Lord? First, let me return home and bury my dad. But Jesus said to him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. Oh, but first, let me go and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus said to him, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then turns back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Wow. Wow. Three people enthusiastic about following Jesus, but then three people that, it seems like had a reason why they couldn't do it and had failed and turned away. 
Well, let's take a look first of all. If we're going to, Jesus' command, follow me, and he said one of the ways, one of the things we have to do to follow him is that we have to take up our cross daily and follow him. The cross. You know, the cross can either be a symbol of honor or it can be an instrument of death. Today, we celebrate the cross. Celebration Church and many of you, we celebrate the cross because of what the cross means to us. The fact that we have experienced a supernatural encounter with God because Jesus was willing to give his life, sacrifice his life, shed his blood, die on the cross so that you and I could have life and have it more abundantly. He was willing to go and pay the price. The word of God says the wages of sin is death. And Jesus was willing to give his life, shed his blood so that you and I could have forgiveness. We celebrate the cross because of that. Hebrews 9.14 kind of helps us understand that a little bit of why that is so important and why we do honor it and celebrate it, and we do so. 9.14 in the New Living Translation, it says, just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Jesus sacrificed his life gave his life, shed his blood on the cross for you and for me. A few verses later, verse 22. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The cross, and Jesus being willing to go to the cross, dying on the cross, shedding his blood, allows for you and I to experience forgiveness. That's something to celebrate. That's something to be excited about, all right? 1 John 1, 7. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, to us, the cross is a symbol of forgiveness. It's a symbol of freedom. It's a symbol of celebration. It may be a symbol of our burdens being lifted. We hang it on in the church. You see many churches with the steeple and the cross on the steeple. We hang it around our necks. We love to paint pictures about the cross, of the cross. We may even tattoo it on our bodies. My oldest daughter, when she was still living under my roof, before she went to live under Pastor Fall's roof, she and a friend of hers went out one time and uh, unbeknown to me, uh, when they came home, I noticed that she was kind of covering something up at a, down at her ankle. And uh, finally, it came out that she had gone and got a tattoo. And back in those days, for me, tattoo was, whoa. Of course, she had a tattoo of the cross. So I felt much better about it. <laughs> but we tattoo our bodies. But for Jesus, the cross was an instrument of death. The cross was... Torture, the cross was humiliation, the cross was rejection, the cross was mockery. Not a pretty picture. So when Jesus said to his disciples, you want to follow me? If you're going to follow me, you have to take up your cross daily and deny yourself and follow me. Wow, a cross, you've got to be kidding me. You see, it's not just putting a cross in our garden at home, hanging it around our neck or using it as a sticker on Facebook for everybody to see. The cross means, needs to be more than that. So what does it mean to follow? What does it mean when Jesus said, follow me, take up your cross daily and follow me? What does that really look like? 
Well, let's take this illustration of these three people that came to Jesus and responded with, yes, I'll follow, and see what finally happened. The first one, as we read earlier on, he said, I'll follow you wherever you go, wherever you go. And Jesus said, well, that's okay, that's good. Foxes have a den, birds have a nest. I don't even have a place to lay my head, all right? You see, this person was ready to follow, but there's a cost to following Jesus, and you and I need to be ready and willing to do whatever. You see, sometimes we're quick to jump and say, I'll follow, and then we say, well, you know, Jesus, I'll follow you as long as I have a house, and you know, because I live in Wisconsin, I need to have a heated house. It needs to be centrally heated. Uh, because we, we it, you know, so I'll follow you as long as I've got a nice house. I'll follow you as long as I've got a car. In fact, I need two. In fact, one of them needs to be a four by four and it needs to have one of those remote starters because I live in Wisconsin. I'll follow you if I have that. I'll follow you, Jesus, you know, um, if I have three good meals a day. You know, I love to eat healthy, as you can see. And I want three good meals a day and healthy meals too, all right? In fact, you know, God, Jesus, I, I, I have a problem with my neck. I have a bit of a crick in my neck. And I'll follow you, but I need a good pillow. I need a good pillow that I can sleep on every day. You know, Jesus, I will follow you. And particularly, I'll follow you at 10.30 at the Eastside Campus of Celebration Church for an hour and 15 minutes. Jesus says, what about there? What about in your plans? We want to follow Jesus. What about in the plans that you're planning out for this year? The plans that you have in your home, the plans you have at work, the plans that you are putting together. What about in your thoughts? The things that you think about. I know that you wives still believe that all of us men can read your mind, but we cannot. And they're probably some of the thoughts that you're thinking, if God, you're not following God in your thoughts, we don't want to read that. What about your thoughts? Are you following God in your thoughts? What about your entertainment choices? We won't go there. We'll quickly move on to that one. What about your money? What about your work? What about your marriage? What about your time? What about your attitude? I was talking to someone just yesterday, a doctor friend, and he was talking about how in his clinic... Most of the people in his clinic that work for him are born-again believers and they want to portray an openness and a, and a response to anybody that comes in that they're not only going to get good medical treatment, but they're also going to get to uh, understand and, and, and the impartation of God's love to them as well. And he said, you know, one of the biggest, tough, one of the hardest things, he said that to help the people working in my clinic and the, that to just portray a good attitude to the people that come in. What about your attitude? Are you following Jesus and your attitude? What about there? Let me ask this question of us today, Celebration Church. What is the one place you find the most difficult to follow Jesus? Home? Work? Facebook? Oh, that's a tough one. We won't go there. Neighborhoods? Our friends? What about there? Will you follow him there? You see, if you're truly going to follow Jesus, you're probably going to be required to let him into some areas in your life, some places in your life that may be kind of difficult. 
I'll follow you wherever. And Jesus is saying, what about there? Now the second person that Jesus said, come follow me. The man agreed. Yep, me, I'll do it. I'm ready to go. But Jesus said to him, he said, Lord, let me first return home and bury my father. Now actually what was happening, his father hadn't even died yet. What he was basically saying to Jesus, let me go home, take care of my family and so forth. And then when my father dies, then I will come and follow you. A good thing. But what he was really portraying to Jesus was, Jesus, I will follow you, but it's not such a good time right now. You see, I'm busy building my career. My career is just beginning to skyrocket. I've got the whole world open to me. There's got so much in front of me. It's not a good time for me to follow you right now. I'm building my career. You know, I've just met the love of my life. And he wants to move in with me. And we're not planning on getting married for three years. But it's not a good time right now for me to really follow you, Lord. Not a good time. What about, um, you know, I've just bought a home. And boy, you know, if you're starting with a home, it's always a fixer-upper. It's going to take an awful lot of work. And I'm going to be working real hard to get my... It's just not a good time right now for me to really follow you. To truly follow you. You know, let me contrast that with some passages out of Matthew chapter 4 of people that Jesus said, come follow me, and hear how they responded, all right? In Matthew chapter 4, 18 through 21, it says this. One, Jesus, one day Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, which was similar to the Fox River, and he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they were fishing, were fishermen for a living. They had no idea how to ice fish. They were just throwing nets into the water. Jesus called to them and said, come follow me. And I will show you how to fish for people. Listen to their response. A little different to the other guys. They left their nets at once and followed him. They left their livelihood. They left their their career. They left all their possessions. They left what they knew, what they understood. But Jesus was telling them, follow me. Take up your cross daily. And they were ready to do it. A little further up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come as well and follow him. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. What a difference in contrast compared to the other guys, right? Let me say this to us this morning and challenge us as well. So often when we finally choose to get serious and follow God, sometimes we wait until there's a near disaster or when things are falling apart before we turn to God, before we actually, should I say, run to God. Why wait until disaster? Now, let me add a little bit of a caveat to that. This past week, I had an opportunity to meet with a number of pastors here in Green Bay, the pastors of my churches here, and we just got together and we were talking, uh, sharing. We were talking a little bit about revival and what it could look like in, in, in our community and how we get from point A to point B and, and seeing that happen. And one of the things that was challenged was, well, if we're, we're going to get from point A to see true revival, there's probably going to need to... T- take place some change in our life and the discussion centered around what brings about change and what was brought up and was very valid that oftentimes change happens as a result of tension that comes our way that happens and so sometimes tension sometimes struggles sometimes things like that help us to bring about change all right but we got enough to do something with that tension we don't want to ignore it we don't want to stuff it We don't want to blame it on somebody else. Let the tension change you for what God wants 
in your life. All right? But why do we wait for a disaster? Why do I wait until my marriage is falling apart before I suddenly decide I'm going to follow you? Why do I wait until my health is so bad until I finally decide, God, I'm going to follow you? Why do I wait until I'm told I've got cancer? Why do I wait until my child is on drugs? Put whatever you want to in there before I decide, God, I'm truly going to follow you now. I'm going to pick up my cross daily and follow you. In Hebrews 3 verse 15, we read this. Remember what, I, what it says. Today. Can you say that with me? Today. Come on, you guys in Appleton and Stevens Point. Today. All right? Today. When you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. In other words, don't wait. Don't wait. Now. Do it now. You see, don't wait until tomorrow to deal with that secret sin in your life. Do it today. Don't wait until tomorrow to start that Bible study that you've been planning on doing forever. Do it today. Don't wait until tomorrow to finally volunteer at church and get involved. Do it today. Don't wait until tomorrow to finally decide to feed the poor. Do it today. Don't wait until tomorrow to finally decide to go on a mission trip and get involved and follow Jesus that way. Do it today. This man said, I'll follow you whenever. And Jesus said, what about now? What about now? Now the third person came and he said, Jesus, Lord, I'll follow you. But first let me go say goodbye to my family. And Jesus said to him, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Very often in our walk with God, one of the things is that we have a tendency that we put our hand to the plow and we begin to follow. And then that guy's got a tractor. I've got a plow. And we look back. We look back. If we are to follow Jesus, we cannot follow and continue to look back, church. Anybody ever driven their car and looked back? Anybody ended up in the ditch as a result of it? Or hitting the person in front of you? When we look back and we're following, it's a problem. All right? So I want to suggest to us that Jesus was saying to this person and this man at this time, and saying to us as well through the Holy Spirit this morning, that we cannot follow him if we do not make him the top priority. Number one. You see, you may, if you've read in the Old Testament and remember some of the stories in the Old Testament, whenever the children of Israel were told by God to go into a certain area, to a certain place, and they were to possess the land, the instruction was given that they were to go in and to the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Canaanites and the Wisconsinites, whoever they were told to go to, and they were told to destroy everything, everything, leave nothing unturned alive. And we read that sometimes and think, wow, that's kind of well, that's kind of rough. But what God was trying to say to the people then, and I believe to us as well, that if we go and we begin to follow God, and we leave anything other than God, we'll be tempted to look back. Tempted to look back. You know, in Deuteronomy 6:4, it says this: the Lord your God is one. Now I know we use that scripture, and rightly so, to talk about the Trinity, how God is one in three persons. But I want to suggest to us this morning as well that when it, that scripture refers to God being one, what it's also saying to us that he is the only one. 
There are no other gods below him. The Ten Commandments. It says, the first commandment, you must have no other gods before me. Going so far as to say, not even before. You know, sometimes when I say, well, God, I'm going to put you on the top of my list. The problem with that is I've got other things below. So what if God is saying to us this morning, if you're truly going to follow him, it's only God, the Lord God. There is nothing else. Whatever else is in that list below causes you to look back. Let me say this to us this morning, all right? God will not share you. He's a jealous God. And what are you looking back for? What have you put your hand to the plow and begin to look back? In closing this morning, I want to read this passage one more time to us. I'm going to read it out of the Message Bible, just the verses from 23 to 27, which is the passage where Jesus is instructing them to follow. But just hear it this morning in a different translation of the Message Bible. It says this, Then he told them that they, what they could expect for themselves. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me, and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way my way to find yourself. What good would it do if you get everything you want and lose the real you? If any of you is embarrassed with me and the way I'm leading you, know that the Son of Man will be far more embarrassed with you when he arrives in all his splendor in company with the Father and the holy angels. This isn't, you realize, pie in the sky by and by. Some who have taken their stand right here are going to see it happen. See with their own eyes the kingdom of God. Jesus says to us this morning, come, follow me. Deny yourself, pick up your cross daily, and follow me. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, as we come to the end of this message and as we allow you, Holy Spirit, to come and take just some of the thoughts that have been shared and mostly your word to become real in our hearts and our lives and to drill down into our thoughts and into our spirits this morning. We know, Jesus, that you're here this morning. And as you come and stand before each person here right now and look them in the eye, and simply say to them, as you did to these men, as you did to other people in the word, come, follow me. Lord, what would be our response? Would we respond like Peter and Andrew, James and John, or like the other three? God, what are some of the things that you would put your finger on in our hearts right now this morning that keep us from truly following you? Are there any? God, we want to be honest with ourselves and, of course, with you. Because we know, Lord, that you know all things. So may your truth be very real to us. God, we thank you that for the cross. We thank you for what the cross means to us. We thank you, God, for salvation, for freedom, for forgiveness. But we thank you, God, that you're calling us to follow you and follow you with everything within us. And we give you praise for that today, Lord. We pray it in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen.